0: will just point out something you may or may not know that it has always been the heart of Christ's church to invest in the future of the larger church and we've done that in a variety of ways by having uh, young people come and serve in internship roles and and, and to send them out and, and again you may or may not have known that we've had Blair serving as a as a music intern over the course of the summer and learning what it's like to plan worship and to uh, and to be a part of this, uh, this calling um, to lead in worship and spend time for her to exercise those gifts and for us to invest in her and receive from her. And so uh, it's just one example of how you as a, as a church body are, are investing in the church, and we're thankful for that. And um, uh, we're going to miss you next week when you go back to school a lot. Um, so let's, uh, let, let's turn to God's Word. Uh, John chapter one, verses fourteen through eighteen. We're finishing out the prologue this morning. The prologue is is a it's a fancy way of saying the introduction. And in, in John's introduction, he's he's opening up for us these really powerful, profound truths of who Jesus is that he's going to unpack for the rest of the gospel account, and and it's it's rich with with meaning, and we're going to unpack that that richness as we're in the Word today, but understand that as we unpack the rich meaning of this text, it is all given to us so that we might know God. And in a unique way, we're going to build on where we have been, where we have seen the personhood of Jesus, and we've, we've explored what it means to believe in Jesus. We're going to see that knowing God is knowing the glory of God in the person of Jesus. That's, that's where we're going today. That's a big ask. So let's pray, asking the Lord to open these truths up for us as we explore his word. Would you bow with me? Father, show us your glory in the person of Jesus, that we might know Jesus. That is a crazy thing for us to think that we might be able to grasp on our own, and so we ask that you would give us the presence of your spirit to open our eyes that we might see you more clearly do this we we ask in the name of Jesus Amen friends this is the inerrant and infallible word of God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth John bore witness about him And cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord last week we opened with a question and that question was what does it mean to believe well keeping with that theme I'm going to open with another question what does it mean to know what does it mean to know someone a person oftentimes we will throw out a comment like oh I, I know so and so and what we really mean by that is I've met that person, they know my name, I know their name, and we, we tend to capture all of that and saying I, I know them. But to know someone requires more than merely knowing their name. To know someone requires more than to merely have met them at some point in time. To know someone requires that we know their background, that we know their their family story that we know their personality that we know their character you do that by building history with a person and as we build a history with a person we begin to get to know them and we begin to get a sense is this a person who keeps their word is this a person who does what they say they will do that that one little uh, item of their character sounds sounds small but it It tells us much about a person. This past week, as I got the chance to study this text and to really dive in, one word kept coming to mind. Fulfilled. Fulfillment. I saw in this text that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of Scripture. Let me explain what I mean by that that word fulfilled or fulfillment, and, and Lord willing, show you why it matters, okay? i frame this text uh, by looking at verse 18 and the beginning of verse 14. So again, just like we did last week, started at the ending. We're going to start at the ending this week again. Verse 18, let me put it back before you. Is John telling us what's going on in this whole text? He says, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This passage is about knowing God. The God whom we have not seen. But then go to the beginning of verse 14. We have seen his glory. We've seen the glory of Jesus. What... what, John is telling us in this text is that when we see the glory of Jesus, we are seeing and knowing God, that seeing Jesus' glory makes the Father known to us. But before we can really talk about how we've seen Jesus, let 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 me give you a word on glory. See, we often confuse glory with celebrity. Might use those those thoughts interchangeably. You know, if we think about celebrity, we're thinking name and lights, we're thinking about big, bold feats, thinking about broad fame. When scripture speaks of glory, it, it it has a different notion. The Bible talks of glory in terms of weightiness, in terms of substance. speaks of glory not in terms of Jesus' name in light, but as Jesus being a person of deep substance. And this glory is a glory that we see in Jesus. And that glory that we see in Jesus makes the Father known. And, and, and John tells us in, in verse 14, he, he unpacks for us one of the The greatest acts of all history. C.S. Lewis calls it the grand miracle. It is the incarnation. The incarnation gives us a window into the glory of Jesus. John 1.14 starts out, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've talked about the Word. We talked about the Word two weeks ago as we opened up John's Gospel and we, we heard just how Jesus is the Word. Eternal, creative, personal word. And we, we begin to unpack all that, that, uh, all that the scripture means by, by referencing Jesus as the word. But here, in verse 14, he draws it out more fully. It says that the word became flesh. Without ceasing to be God, Jesus became man. He took on humanity. Remember in the beginning of John, we, we talked about Jesus being the instrument of creation, that all things were created through him. And there was nothing that was created, that was created apart from him. He created all. And here in verse 14, he's saying that, that Jesus, the instrument of creation, entered into his creation. The author, if you will, wrote himself into the story. The artist painted himself into the picture. i got to tell you, if I were the author writing myself into the storyline, if I were the the artist painting myself into the picture, I might have chosen a different image. (laughs) I might have kind of brought together a few superheroes, you know, Superman with the the cape and the the bold colors and the superhuman feats of strength and flying around, maybe Iron Man, at least the good parts of iron man the the brains the the wealth I'd combine the two of them, but I would of course make myself charming, <laughs> winsome, nice when Jesus wrote himself into the storyline he together a greater glory than that, a more substantial glory than I would have drawn myself to be. The scripture says that Jesus became flesh. It's saying a mouthful. You see, flesh is, is not bringing together superhuman feats of strength. Flesh captures all the frailties of humanity. Jesus became weak. Jesus became low, and, and what John is telling us is that in his weakness, we see the consummate picture of God's glory. A whole sermon series could be preached on this truth, the truth that, that theologians speak to is, is the humiliation of Jesus Christ. The humiliation of Jesus Christ is that he took on flesh. He was born of a woman, born in a low estate, in a a feed trough where animals, dirty animals ate. He was born under the law, subject to the law, not above the law. He, He did all of this, taking on human flesh, becoming man, and it is his humiliation, and understand that his humiliation is the picture of his glory, of his heart, of his substance. John lifts up this humble Jesus and says, Behold your God. See Jesus in his glory, and in seeing him, you see the glory of God. You know God, and that is a picture when we grasp it. We know God in this way. Not the God of our creation, of our own imagination, the God of Scripture when we know that God. That's a transformational picture. That's a transformational sight. Transformational knowing. (laughs) We're just getting started with the text. Because Jesus not only came, he, he not only put on flesh, he mingled. Celebrities don't mingle celebrities isolate because they don't want to associate with all the the little people little people are are there to to make them feel good no celebrities they they stay secluded isolated and in gated mansions and gated neighborhoods but jesus the word he dwelt among us Listen, do not be deceived. You and I, we don't matter to celebrities. But how sweet it is to know that you and I do matter to the God of the universe. And He came to dwell among us. And as encouraging as that truth is, maybe, maybe more importantly, what we need to know in Jesus' dwelling is that it is, it is evidence of Fulfillment, as I was saying earlier, that God keeps His word, and He kept His word in the person of Jesus. This word dwelt; it means tent, it means tabernacle. Could have read verse fourteen as the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Now that sounds clunky to us. What? What is? What does that mean? It doesn't even make sense until we go back to the Old Testament. We go back to Exodus chapter 25. Because in Exodus 25, God is giving instructions for Moses on the tabernacle, on the tent Where worship will take place. But in Exodus 25, God tells Moses that the purpose of the tabernacle is that it is to be his dwelling place among his people. It will be the place where God will dwell among his beloved. But that always looked forward to fulfillment. Now listen, understand I'm referencing is Exodus 25, to look forward to John. And What you need to know from that is the storyline of Scripture is this. Our God, from beginning to end, he's calling together for himself a people of his own possession, a prized people, a people that he longs to be with, that he will dwell among. So he makes that promise. I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell with you. It is a promise fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, a promise that you and I will experience fully and finally in the new heavens and the new earth. This dwelling, the dwelling of John 1.14. This picture of the fullness of God and the presence of Jesus among us, so that we might know him. The Father, by seeing the glory of Jesus. Now, what do we do with this? Well, I've said it. You're going to hear me say it every week in John. The major application of this book is not a to-do list. The major application of this book is that we know Jesus. That we believe in his name, and then in believing his name, we might find life in his name. That is a knowing that is that is shaping that is transformational. The main point of this is that we know this Jesus as we see his glory and we be shaped by it. But there are smaller points of application. Jesus incarnated. He, he was incarnational in his life and his in his ministry. Jesus got into the nitty-gritty of people's lives. He didn't stand apart at a safe distance preaching and teaching but but remaining separated. No, he he got involved in people's lives in the good and in the bad. And so if you and I are to love well, if we are to be shaped by Jesus, then we must do the same. We must get involved in the nitty-gritty of one another's lives. We must be incarnational with one another, not standing back at a safe distance, but deeply involved in in one another's hearts and lives. That's the the little a application, if you will, that we dive in with one another. Again, the emphasis here in this text is on seeing And knowing the fullness of God in the glory of Jesus. That's what we're finding in this text. That's what we find in the incarnation of Jesus. That's the introduction. If you're watching the clock, relax. Um, The incarnation is more than introduction. The incarnation is the essence. The essence of Jesus is the essence of the text. So the points that we have... To go with it, they are, they are supporting points to show that Jesus fulfills the glory of God. They are sweet points, but they are supporting points. And so while we see the fullness of, of Jesus' glory in the incarnation, we see in His incarnation the fulfillment of the symbol of the tabernacle, uh, there's more. We continue to see this fulfillment as Jesus... Uh, through Jesus in his fullness, we see grace and truth. I stopped halfway through verse 14. Let's finish it. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That glory as of the only Son from the Father tells us that this glory, the glory of Jesus, is a glory that is unique to the Trinity. That, that Jesus bears this glory in a way that is unique to the Godhead, as of the only Son from the Father. But what is full of grace and truth? I've heard it taught this way. I've probably said it this way. Maybe some of you have as well, that, that when the Gospel account says that Jesus is full of grace and truth, what it really means is that grace comes before truth. That, that Jesus came almost as if we're trying to say that grace replaces truth. That the real essence here is the priority of grace over truth. And while I understand the, the heart behind that sentiment, it misses the point. And in missing the point, it's, it's actually false. Because grace without truth is, is empty sentimentality. And truth without grace is harsh and unattainable legalism. Jesus is both grace and truth. Not one over the other as if that's the emphasis. No, Jesus is both grace and truth. But neither is the point of verse 14. The point of verse 14 is that John is drawing out the very character God, And to understand the point, we must go back once again to the Old Testament, once again to Exodus. John here is saying that we can know God by seeing the glory of Jesus. Exodus 33, 18, Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. See, God had called Moses to a to an impossible task to lead the people of Israel a task and and he was already just done with these people that early in the game he's he's got he's got to lead them through the wilderness they're already failing And, and Moses is is pleading with the Lord God show me your glory sustain me with a picture of your glory but God was too merciful to answer that question as Moses had had requested it because Moses was, he was flesh. He was frail. He was human. And man cannot behold the glory of God the Father and live. So God didn't show him the glory, but what he did do was speak his glory. In Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, God took Moses and and hid him in the cleft of a rock and then passed before him. But rather than than showing a picture of his glory, God spoke. And he spoke his name. God's name in Exodus 34 is the description of his glory. We read it in verses 6 and 7. When God has been asked to show his glory, he he speaks his glory by speaking his name and describing the essence of his name, an essence that is is emphasized there in verse 6 when he says, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That that becomes the, the summary of God's character that we find throughout the Scripture emphasized most prominently in the Psalms. God describes himself as a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. That steadfast love, that is his gracious, enduring love. His grace. Faithfulness that just read of in Exodus 34, 6, the Hebrew word is also, it speaks of truth. It means truth. So when the the New American Standard translates Exodus thirty-four six. It describes God's character as faithfulness and true, faithful and true. You see that when John here describes Jesus, full of grace and truth, he is in essence translating this description of God: steadfast love and faithful is grace and true in the new. That is the point that that seeing Jesus' glory full of grace and truth hearkens back to Exodus and shows that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's self-revelation. God reveals himself in Exodus. He's a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. Jesus comes. as the fulfillment of God's revelation, full of grace and truth. Friends, Moses heard of God's glory when he heard the name of God. But you and I, we see God's glory. In Jesus, when we see the name of God full of grace and truth. That's what John's showing us here. A richer understanding of this text points out the glory of Jesus more fully. And then after a brief uh, a parenthetical uh, account of Jesus, again, fulfilling the prophecy of John the Baptist uh, there in verse 15. We come back to the, 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 the flow of thought in verses 16 and 17 to see that from his fullness we receive grace upon grace. Again, just as we needed to understand grace and truth, what, what does this talk about grace upon grace? Uh, my, my grandmother, my, my mamaw, uh, I think, believed that her purpose in life was to fatten me up. <laughs> my brother and I ate many a meal with my grandparents, and almost without exception, she made cube steak and gravy, <laughs> complete with mashed potatoes and rolls so we could apply more gravy. You see, her thought was that if a little gravy is good, a lot of gravy is better. Gravy, gravy amen. <laughs> gravy upon gravy, if you will. Is that what we have here? If a little grace is good, a lot of grace is better. Have yourself an, an, an extra helping of grace. It's tempting for us to think in these terms but the text is pointing us to something a truth that is that is far richer than that. We need to understand scripture in light of scripture. We need to understand verse 16 in light of verse 17. And verse 17 is speaking of the law being given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We don't tend to think of grace and law going together. But I hope that in our time and and the Ten Commandments sort of righted that thinking a bit because we heard there that the premise for the Ten Commandments was redemption. God said, I have redeemed you out of slavery and of bondage in Egypt. Therefore, obey. Redemption came before obedience. Redemption is the premise for the law. Now, even understanding that, the law is meant to guide Christians in godly living, but it is a guide in godly living. The law was never meant to be an instrument of salvation. The law was never meant to be a checklist that we could tick off so that we could earn our redemption. No, the law exposed our deep need of a Savior. The law points us to, drives us to, Jesus Christ, The one who came in flesh to perfectly fulfill the requirements of the law. Remember we said he became low. He became subject to the law so that he might do what we couldn't do. So he could obey it perfectly on our behalf. And in his obedience, he was uniquely qualified as the God-man to make atonement for you and I. fall woefully short from God's holiness. It's His atonement. You see, Jesus perfectly obeyed the law and then He went to the cross and took our punishment, the punishment that was the wrath of God that, that was meant for us due to our disobedience. He took it in our place and then gave us His righteousness, a righteousness that we receive by faith Alone, Friends, that is grace. It is grace fulfilled in the person of Jesus. So there we go. Once again, with fulfillment. Friends, the grace of Jesus replaces the grace of the law. He is the fuller expression of the grace of the law. So through him. As the manifestation of grace and truth, we may see more clearly the person of God, and more intimately, we may know Him. I opened with the question, what does it mean to know someone? Yes, it means more than simply to have met them at some point in the past or to know their name. It means to know the essence of the person. It means to know their their history, their, their personality, their character, their purpose. Friends, we, we, can, we can know something about a person by merely reading about them in a book. But to know them intimately, we must have an encounter with them. And ultimately, that's why Jesus came. Because we needed him. And we needed to encounter him to know when my kids were little and I mean very little <laughs> uh, as toddlers that they, they would have trouble sleeping we lived in a, a ranch house at the end of the hallway were a grouping of bedrooms <laughs> so here's the thing about the boys when when they had trouble sleeping when they were hurting they had no problem getting out of bed and coming into my room and violently waking me from my sleep and telling me exactly what it was that they needed. It was a little different with my daughter. You see, when she was hurting, when she was afraid, when she couldn't sleep, she'd get up, and she would go out in the hallway, and she'd lay down on the floor and cry because she just seemed to know that the best help is the help that comes to you. The help that that comes to be where you are. The help that seems to want to know and and to care for you. She needed daddy to come to her. Don't you see? Jesus is the help who comes to us. He came to us to be with us, to reveal His glory to us because we were in desperate need of Him and we could not come to Him. So He came to show us His glory, a glory that shapes us and a glory that saves us. And this glory saves us because it was ultimately shown and revealed not merely in His coming but also more fully in his dying on the cross. The text, it it points to to incarnation, to, to Jesus taking on flesh, to Jesus coming and dwelling. That is the fulfillment of God's glory for us to see. But how do we respond? The only way we can. We cry out for grace and truth. We know grace and truth. We be conformed by grace and truth. Dear friends, how do we respond? We behold grace and truth. Father, your ways are wise, your ways are perfect, your timing is impeccable. You have fulfilled every promise in Jesus Christ. To show us your glory through him. Imprint his image on our hearts by the power of your spirit in the name of your son.